Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And once again, I am so excited to be here today. Thank you guys for tuning in to the Firetime Podcast, the podcast that is by the hearth industry and for the hearth industry. You know, it's really funny. So I record these episodes, I talk to some of my favorite people in the industry, and I really feel totally spoiled because (laughs) these are people that I love their insight, I love their knowledge, and I feel like I get so much out of these conversations where it's awesome just to be able to ask questions and get these answers that help me and my life and my team and our business. And uh, it feels really selfish (laughs) that I get to do this. And so um, it's, it's really fun. Uh, tonight I'm sitting here in Bellevue, Washington in a hotel. I'm in the Red Lion right now. And I was just listening to some of these past podcast episodes as I go through and edit them. And I think the content is really awesome. I absolutely love just being able to hear insight from people that are winning in our industry and are willing to share what they have. I think that that's really, really underrated. We talk a lot about how in a high tide, all the ships rise. And I think that there is something to be said for companies who are open-handed in what they do, meaning that they're not tight-fisted, they don't hoard it all in, but they're willing to share some of the secret sauce, trusting that they are good enough that they can still execute on their own terms and win in the long run. I just, I love it. Well, today's interview is with Matt Dahl from American Fireglass. And this is someone I got connected with a while back through social media. We actually talk about that a little bit in our conversation. And, you know, Matt's got a funny story. The, the, the topic of this interview is hustle and grind. And it's something that there's a lot of people in our industry that are hungry, that are pushing, that are wondering what's next. And this is going to be a great conversation to listen to because Matt has taken a company from zero to multi-million in revenue through his hustle, his grind, and his ingenuity. It's actually kind of funny. He tells the story a little bit, but American Fireglass was started by the idea when he walked into a store one time, saw a guy breaking beer bottles and taking that crushed glass and putting it into fire pits, and Matt said, I can do that. I can make a business out of that. It's really funny. Um, with all that said, you know, in today's interview, I want you guys to listen to Matt's hunger He absolutely has a hunger for what he's doing, and he cares deeply for the people that are involved in his company, but I also want you to listen to his humility. He talks a lot in the interview about failing, about bringing people in that know more than he does, and lastly, I want you to listen to his stories about hustle. He's someone that's never satisfied. He's always looking for the next thing, and he even references that that's both a blessing and a curse, but If you guys can listen to that, if you can listen to his hunger, the humility that he has, and the hustle of where he's taking his company, I think it's a recipe for success. So with all that said, we'll circle back at the end and talk about it. But in the meantime, here is my conversation with Matt Dahl. Joining me all the way from sunny Southern California, the founder and CEO of American Fireglass, I'm joined by Matt Dahl. What's up, Matt? Hey, Tim. How you doing? Glad to be here. Hey, doing great, man. I'm really excited for what you're going to bring to the table today. Now, to start us out, can you just fill our audience in on American Fireglass and what you guys do specifically? 
Yeah, absolutely. So we are a premier manufacturer of fire glass. Um, when I started the company in my garage back in 2004, that's really all we focused on. We've since grown into a manufacturer of fire glass, fire pit products, uh, anything that you need to manufacture or build a fire pit. And now we sell complete out-of-the-box fire pits that are just a plug-and-play unit. That's awesome. And you started this company, when was it, like 2003, 2004? Yeah, 2004 is when I got the first idea for it. Um, really, it was kind of an amazing story. I, I walked into a store in the local town where I was at, and they sold spas, barbecues, and a couple of fire pits. And I was watched one of the employees take champagne bottles, or broken glass, whatever it was. He's putting it in a pillowcase, and he's smashing it, and then he's dumping it into the fire pit. At this point, I was working full-time in construction as a, a glass installer. I was a union glazer. And making pretty good money and working my ass off, though, about 16 hours a day, it felt like. And I saw this guy doing this and I looked at my boss who was with me and kind of said, hey, I bet I could do that better. So that night I went to Toys R Us. I spent $39 on a rock polisher. I went into the office, got a little piece of tempered glass, smashed it up, threw it into the polisher and played around with how to make it look all shiny and nice. I blindly cold called the dude, took a sample back to him in a little Ziploc bag, and he looks at it and says, oh, that's great. Bring me a 50-pound sack by Saturday. So then I just had to figure out how to make that work. So I went back and kind of scaled it, went to Home Depot, bought a mortar mixer, and started to figure out how am I going to make this work. So making this 50 pounds is kind of funny trying to figure out how to dry this stuff after I, it was coming out of the polisher. So I put it in the dryer to see if that would dry it. And that was just a stupid idea. So then I took the window screens out of our house and laid it on the ground and strung it out, elevated on some two by fours and let it drip dry in the sun. And that ended up being a good batch of glass. I took it back to the guy. He wrote me a check on the spot uh, for a hundred bucks. And that was kind of the day I really realized, holy crap, I might be able to turn this into a business. <laughs> That's awesome. And how old were you then? I was 24 years old. So you're, you're 24 years old and you were telling me you're making you know $80,000 a year. You got a young family. Life is good. And then you come home one day and you tell your wife, yeah, I'm actually going to, I'm going to quit my good job uh, with our three little kids and I'm going to start breaking glass and selling it for a living. What, what was her reaction to that? Surprisingly enough, she was very, very supportive. Uh, I kind of thought she would think I was crazy. Um, I about 90% believed in myself at the time, but I still thought it was a pretty crazy idea that I could make money selling broken glass. So I didn't expect someone else to be very open to the idea, but, but she was very supportive. And from day one, she was the first one to um, be there trying to put the kids to sleep um, while at the same time doing UPS labels for me because I was out in the garage till two in the morning processing glass. And then I'd have to get back up at five and go to my full-time job, she would then come out in the morning and package the glass and, and get it shipped out. So right from day one, she was very strategic in making sure we got this thing up and running off the ground. That's awesome. That's so cool. You guys are both on the same page with that. I mean, and so the, the theme of this interview is really hustle and grind. I feel like you're the perfect person to talk to. And so was it hard, you know, staying up till 2 a.m., grinding away doing this while you're working a normal job? You know, did you know that this would take off? I never once doubted myself. Um, it was hard. I, I'll say that for sure. But I, but I think a lot of this work ethic I have goes back to when I was younger. There's something that most people don't know about me, which is pretty interesting, is I dropped out of high school when I was 16 years old. Um, 
I got the itch to work and I wanted to work full time. So I quit school and started working full time. I was working in a restaurant and I was doing construction at the same time. So I had two jobs and then I was going to night school in the evening. So I was already doing about 20 hours a day worth of work from when I was 16 years old. And it just felt normal to me. I, 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 nothing about it seemed out of the ordinary. Um, I then got married when I was 18 years old and had my first kid a few days after I turned 19. So I kind of started my life at a really young age and, um, it, it, it just kind of created some very interesting environments for me. 30 days before I got married, the, um, one of the most important people in my life, which was my brother committed suicide. Mm. And that deeply affected me in a way that I still don't understand. Here we are 20 something years later. And it, it motivated me. It pushed me to always want to live the best life I possibly could because I think he was uh, depressed and w- lived a life that he couldn't see where he wanted to go and what he wanted to do. And so he chose to commit suicide. And, and I figured I was going to just live my life the exact opposite and just grind and hustle and be happy every day. And here I am still doing that. Wow, that's awesome, man. Yeah, you're making him proud. Well, so switching gears, um, when you started this thing, you know, you're going from pulling 2 a.m. nights and doing everything to now running a company. So you've gone from the chief everything officer to like a legit CEO. you got 32 people in there now. What have you had to give up in the day-to-day to now lead your company the way that it needs to be led? Almost everything. I discovered a mentor three years ago now. And Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough slow is fast and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to i'm your host tim reed and once again i am so excited to be here today thank you guys for tuning in to the firetime podcast the podcast that is by the hearth industry and for the hearth industry You know, it's really funny. So I record these episodes. I talk to some of my favorite people in the industry and I really feel totally spoiled because (laughs) these are people that I love their insight. I love their knowledge. And I feel like I get so much out of these conversations where it's awesome just to be able to ask questions and get these answers that help me in my life and my team and our business. And uh, it feels really selfish (laughs) that I get to do this. And so um, it's, it's really fun. Uh, tonight, I'm sitting here in Bellevue, Washington in a hotel. I'm in the Red Lion right now, and I was just listening to some of these past podcast episodes as I go through and edit them, and I think the content is really awesome. I l- absolutely love just being able to hear insight from people that are winning in our industry and are willing to share what they have. I think that that's really, really underrated. We talk a lot about how in a high tide, all the ships rise. And I think that there is something to be said for companies who are open-handed in what they do, meaning that they're not tight-fisted, they don't hoard it all in, but they're willing to share some of the secret sauce, trusting that they are good enough that they can still execute on their own terms and win in the long run. I just, I love it. Well, today's interview is with Matt Dahl from American Fireglass. And this is someone I got connected with a while back through social media. We actually talk about that a little bit in our conversation. And, you know, Matt's got a funny story. The, the, the topic of this interview is 
hustle and grind. And it's something that there's a lot of people in our industry that are hungry, that are pushing, that are wondering what's next. And this is going to be a great conversation to listen to because Matt has taken a company from zero to multi-million in revenue through his hustle, his grind, and his ingenuity. It's actually kind of funny. He tells the story a little bit, but American Fireglass was started by the idea when he walked into a store one time, saw a guy breaking beer bottles and taking that crushed glass and putting it into fire pits. And Matt said, I can do that. I can make a business out of that. It's really funny. Um, With all that said, you know, in today's interview, I want you guys to listen to Matt's hunger. He absolutely has a hunger for what he's doing, and he cares deeply for the people that are involved in his company, but I also want you to listen to his humility. He talks a lot in the interview about failing, about bringing people in that know more than he does, and lastly, I want you to listen to his stories about hustle. He's someone that's never satisfied. He's always looking for the next thing, and he even references that that's both a blessing and a curse, but If you guys can listen to that, if you can listen to his hunger, the humility that he has, and the hustle of where he's taking his company, I think it's a recipe for success. So with all that said, we'll circle back at the end and talk about it. But in the meantime, here is my conversation with Matt Dahl. Joining me all the way from sunny Southern California, the founder and CEO of American Fireglass, I'm joined by Matt Dahl. What's up, Matt? Hey, Tim. How you doing? Glad to be here. Hey, doing great, man. I'm really excited for what you're going to bring to the table today. Now, to start us out, can you just fill our audience in on American Fireglass and what you guys do specifically? Yeah, absolutely. So we are a premier manufacturer of Fireglass. Uh, when I started the company in my garage back in 2004, that's really all we focused on. We've since grown into a manufacturer of Fireglass, Fire Pit products, uh, anything that you need to manufacture and build a fire pit. And now we sell complete out-of-the-box fire pits that are just a plug-and-play unit. That's awesome. And you started this company, when was it? Like 2003, 2004? Yeah, 2004 is when I got the first idea for it. Um, Really, it was kind of an amazing story. I I walked into a store in the local town where I was at, and they sold spas, barbecues, and a couple of fire pits. And I was watched one of the employees take champagne bottles, uh, broken glass, whatever it was, he's putting it in a pillowcase and he's smashing it and then he's dumping it into the fire pit. At this point, I was working full-time in construction as a a glass installer. I was a union glazer and making pretty good money and working my ass off though, about 16 hours a day it felt like. And I saw this guy doing this and I looked at my boss who was with me and kind of said, hey, I bet I could do that better. So that night, I went to Toys R Us. I spent $39 on a rock polisher. I went into the office, got a little piece of tempered glass, smashed it up, threw it into the polisher, and played around with how to make it look all shiny and nice. I blindly cold-called the dude, took a sample back to him in a little Ziploc bag, and he looks at it and says, oh, that's great. Bring me a 50-pound sack by Saturday. So then I just had to figure out how to make that work. So I went back and kind of scaled it, went to Home Depot, bought a mortar mixer and started to figure out how am I going to make this work. So making this 50 pounds is kind of funny, trying to figure out how to dry this stuff after it was coming out of the polisher. So I put it in the dryer to see if that would dry it. And that was just a stupid idea. So then I took the window screens out of our house and laid it on the ground and strung it out 
elevated on some two by fours and let it drip dry in the sun. And that ended up being a good batch of glass. I took it back to the guy. He wrote me a check on the spot uh, for a hundred bucks. And that was kind of the day I really realized, holy crap, I might be able to turn this into a business. <laughs> That's awesome. And how old were you then? I was 24 years old. So you're, you're 24 years old and you were telling me you're making you know $80,000 a year. You got a young family. Life is good. And then you come home one day and you tell your wife, yeah, I'm actually going to, I'm going to quit my good job uh, with our three little kids and I'm going to start breaking glass and selling it for a living. What, what was her reaction to that? Surprisingly enough, she was very, very supportive. Uh, I kind of thought she would think I was crazy. Um, I about 90% believed in myself at the time, but I still thought it was a pretty crazy idea that I could make money selling broken glass. So I didn't expect someone else to be very open to the idea, but, but she was very supportive and from day one, she was the first one to um, be there trying to put the kids to sleep um, while at the same time doing UPS labels for me because I was out in the garage till two in the morning processing glass and then I'd have to get back up at five and go to my full-time job. She would then come out in the morning and package the glass and, and get it shipped out. So right from day one, she was very strategic in making sure we got this thing up and running off the ground. That's awesome. That's so cool. You guys were both on the same page with that. I mean, and so the, the theme of this interview is really hustle and grind. I feel like you're the perfect person to talk to. And so was it hard, you know, staying up till 2 a.m., grinding away doing this while you're working a normal job? You know, did you know that this would take off? I never once doubted myself. Um, it, it was hard. I, I'll say that for sure. But I, but I think a lot of this work ethic I have goes back to when I was younger. There's something that most people don't know about me, which is pretty interesting, is I dropped out of high school when I was 16 years old. Um, I got the itch to work, and I wanted to work full-time. So I quit school and started working full-time. I was working in a restaurant, and I was doing construction at the same time. So I had two jobs. And then I was going to night school in the evening. So I was already doing about 20 hours a day worth of work from when I was 16 years old. And it just felt normal to me. I, 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 nothing about it seemed out of the ordinary. Um, I then got married when I was 18 years old and had my first kid a few days after I turned 19. So I kind of started my life at a really young age. And um, it, it, it just kind of created some very interesting environments for me. 30 days before I got married the, um, one of the most important people in my life, which was my brother committed suicide. Mm. And that deeply affected me in a way that I still don't understand. Here we are 20 something years later. And it, it motivated me. It pushed me to always want to live the best life I possibly could, because I think he was, uh, depressed and w lived a life that he couldn't see where he wanted to go and what he wanted to do. And so he chose to commit suicide. And, and I figured I was going to just live my life the exact opposite and just grind and hustle and be happy every day. And here I am still doing that. Wow. That's awesome, man. Yeah. You're making him proud. Well, so switching gears, um, when you started this thing, you know, you're going from pulling 2am nights and doing everything to now running a company. So you've gone from the chief everything officer to like a legit CEO. You got 32 people in there now. What have you had to give up in the day to day to now lead your company the way that it needs to be led? Almost everything. I discovered a mentor three years ago now, and he has completely changed my life. And so I've realized now that my job as the CEO is to um, share my vision with the company and hold people accountable. And those two things really are some of the most important things I do. I went from literally being the guy that had to check the mail every day because I wanted to see what checks were coming um, to 
paying the bills, doing the purchase orders, and trying to partially run the warehouse and make sure that production was going, to now having divisions that do that for me. We have an accounting division with multiple people. We have customer service with multiple people. And um, some of the best advice I got was to hire people smarter than me. And I started doing that. And it's amazing how well that works. That's awesome. You know, we found that at my company that, you know, we've grown, we have six locations now. And and with my role, it's it's been it's been tough, you know, to come in to, when you start out and you're small and you're doing everything. You're pulling stuff off the truck, you're checking it in, you're calling the customer. To then, like you said, having departments that do that, it, it's a transition. But a lot of people can't do it. They're 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 too tight fisted. They're not open handed enough to trust people. But I think that what you're showing is if you do that, you're going to grow way bigger than you can by hiring smart people, putting them in a position to succeed, but then holding them accountable. Yeah, that's exactly right. I couldn't imagine working in an environment where you have people around you that you don't trust. Um, that's something that just has never registered to me. And maybe it's, I have this intuition when I meet people right away, but the people we have working in this company today, we have such a synergy that I feel like it's taken me 13, 14 years to get to this. And now we're at the point where we've had some people working here for 12 years and they just don't want to leave. Uh, some people in the afternoons, I almost have to tell them, hey, go home to your family. <laughs> and, and, and so I'm very much about um, in our, our families and, and making sure that everyone is there for each other. I started this company for the purpose of being able to provide better for my family, and I want to make sure my employees are able to do the same thing. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, a while back, I saw you got connected with Marcus Limonis from CNBC's The Profit, and that's crazy. And I want you to tell a story about that. So that story is all about the power of social media. I follow Marcus Limonis on Twitter and he tweeted out one night, tell me what makes you better. So I had just got done making a video that we published for our booth at the casual show in Chicago when we were introducing a line of new fire pits. Uh, I tweeted him that video and I was pretty intense in the video and I had a lot of passion and it showed. So he immediately messaged me back and we started going back and forth about putting his products in all of his stores. And if you don't know, he also owns Camping World, which is the largest supplier of camping and RVs in the world. And they're getting into a lot more outdoor stuff. And then he just acquired Gander Mountain and is now converting it to it's called Gander Outdoors. And they're probably going to open about 50 stores over the next year as well. So wow. there's a lot of potential there. Um, so then he mentioned to me that he had an exclusive entrepreneur event that was coming up in a couple of days out in Los Angeles. And he invited me to it. So I show up to this event and it's about 250 entrepreneurs and about another 100 people that are just connected to Marcus somehow. And they wanted to do on-camera interviews on stage in front of people. And it was going to air during the profit for some T-Mobile events or something. I'm not 100% certain what it was about because at this point it hasn't aired yet because the new season of profit is just getting going. And so he calls me up on stage in front of all these people and the lights of the of the cameras and, and the spotlights and everything are extremely intense. So yeah, pressure's about, on. Pressure is on. So within about a minute, I'm starting to sweat. And he introduced me and then he uses our connection on Twitter to tell the crowd that this was just a by chance situation. And here I am randomly in front of him again. So he kind of set the tone a little bit. And then he calls me out on the spot. He says to me, Matt, I want you to tell me what makes your company better. Go. And so I start talking a little bit about the culture that we have, the marketing that we do. And as soon as I said the word marketing, he cuts me off and says, bullshit, I want you to tell me why you're better. And so I go right back into the same spiel 
telling it again. Within 30 seconds, he says, no, this is bullshit. And then he turns to the crowd and he says, this is what I'm talking about, guys. You've got to be ready for anything on the spot. As you can see, Matt here is sweating his ass off. It is a little bit hot here, but he shouldn't be sweating this much. And I want you to tweet me a new video telling me what makes you better. And if I don't like it, I'm not selling your products in any of my stores. Wow. So, <laughs> so I sent him that video. We've gone back and forth and we're still working on getting our fire pits into his location. So I've got my fingers crossed that we're going to launch that here soon. Crazy. Yeah, that guy's legit. I can only imagine how intense it was. It, it was very intense. He's a lot in person like he is on camera. And he, he's... Um, maybe about six foot and I'm five foot four and a half. So he's a little bit taller than me. And then the funny thing was, is that the stool that I was sitting on, my feet couldn't touch the ground and I kept just like spinning and twisting to the side a little <laughs> bit. So it was getting really awkward. I kept having to spin back cause the stool like kept wanting to automatically spin. So, um, I usually don't kind of clam up getting in front of people. I got pretty nervous and, and almost froze up like a deer in the headlights. Yeah. Well, I mean, Regardless of that, I think it's awesome that you just did it. I mean, how many people would be afraid to just take a step and DM this celebrity dude and then show up in Los Angeles, go up on the stage? I mean, that's awesome that you're willing to do that. It goes back to the hustle and grind. Absolutely. I live by that. Yeah. So since then, you scored a deal with Duraflame as well. And as I'm looking at your career path, it's like you're not satisfied with anything. You know, So you go from your union job to selling some glass by yourself. And then you grow the company. And then it's not enough just to grow the company. You have to hit up Marcus Limonis. And it's not enough just to hit him up. Now you have to go after Duraflame. I mean, so that's awesome, number one. But how do you even come up with these ideas of, of contacting these, these people and these entities? Yeah, never being satisfied is a blessing and a curse all in the same. So the Duraflame deal goes back a few years when I met one of the executives in the company. And um, w when I meet people that I have an opportunity to connect with that I feel like I could really learn from, I try to do everything I can to become friends with them. And so we became acquaintances and started talking, exchanging emails back and forth. And we're trying to find a way that we could work together. After a couple of years, we came up with the idea of a license agreement. And then we were working out the details of that license agreement for the last two years. My vision for the license agreement is to really separate our business into two completely separate categories. So we're going to have specialty market under American Fireglass and mass merchant market under the Duraflame brand. So we've just launched a line of Fireglass products under the Duraflame brand and a line of fire pits that all have a retail price point anywhere from around $500 to $800. And then we also have a full line of wood-burning fire pits, which are anywhere from, we have one that sells for $18.99. So if you could imagine walking into your Kroger grocery store and they have their pallet of Duraflame logs, right next to it is gonna be a fire pit of $29 or $39 retail wood-burning fire pits that are all fully branded in the Duraflame brand. And, and that was my vision, was to be able to grow that. You know, someone like Kroger, I think they have thousands and thousands of locations. So there's, there's a lot of big potential there. We're projecting that the Duraflame brand is going to triple our business in the next 36 months. And as we speak here today, it's pretty awesome that my VP of sales and my category manager is giving the pitch to Lowe's right now as we speak on the other side of the country. Wow, that's rad. You know, and I think what's cool too, I mean, this, this kind of goes into the next question, but it reminds me of what, of what Gary Vee says, never get romantic about the way you make your money. 
And you're always looking for those opportunities. What channels can I open up? What things can I do to even just disrupt myself and challenge myself? That's really cool you're doing that. So on that same note, you know, you and I are both real big Gary Vee fans. And I want to ask you, where has that guy impacted you the most? Crushing it, man. That, that, that book to me just fascinated me. I actually didn't read his first book from 2009. I went straight into crushing it. And within the first 45 minutes of, I'm an audiobook guy, so of listening to it, I'm already upping up my game on social media and started to decide, okay, I need to make posts on Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, Facebook. I need to do this every single day. Um, I need to start a podcast. Sounds like you got the memo as well. So he, he really fired me up there. And something that I like about the guy that I had in common with him that I didn't really realize is how down to earth he is. Um, he's, um, his language when he speaks to people is straight into the point. And I, and I love that. I've, I've learned that from Gary, you could be yourself, continue to hustle and people are going to accept you for that. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's totally an authenticity with, uh, with just being who you are for sure. You know, one of the cool things that I've loved about Gary is I'm a huge fan of jab, 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 right hook, huge fan of the thank you economy. And I think that for people listening that haven't heard of this guy, you know, he's brash, he's outspoken, he's loud and he's, he's an acquired taste, but his book, the thank you economy is crazy because especially for people in this business that are relying on one-to-one relationships, you know, customers that buy your products every five to 20 years, depending on what you sell, you know, winning the referral, winning a good customer experience is crazy. And uh, I just want to give a plug for that book that thank you economy is, is a must have for anyone in this industry. Shifting gears a little bit. When we talked earlier, you mentioned to me that no one in our industry is taking social media seriously enough. And I'm with you a hundred percent, but I'd love to hear you speak on that. So back to what I originally said, I feel like when I first started in this industry about 14 years ago, I was dubbed, you know, the young guy, the boys, and here I am 38 now and I'm getting a little bit older. And I still think that the industry is using the same type of marketing and advertising and technology that they were using uh, in the early 2000s talking about technology to this day, we still get orders faxed to us and it drives me insane every time I see a fax through, but we get about three or five faxes a day and it's ridiculous. It is. It's just mind blowing. Um, and so, you know, we have it set up to where it comes into an email, but they think they're faxing us on a fax machine. So it's pretty funny. If you look at most of the big companies, a lot of the times it's very generic. Uh, something that drives me crazy is if every post you do is trying to sell something, you're just going to lose your audience. You need to provide value. And trying to sell something all the time provides zero value to anybody but yourself unless you actually make a sale, which the odds of that are very slim when all you do is try to push product down yep. someone's throat. So it's, there's a lot more to it. And I just wish people would educate themselves more on the value of social media. Um, I've had so many opportunities fall into my lap recently just from my interactions on social media. I've gotten a lot more into just posting about my daily life. And it's allowed people to connect with me and see me for more than just being the CEO of the company and kind of bond with me. And I had a guy walk up to my booth at the, it was the last casual show in Chicago. And he walks in there and I didn't see what his badge was. And he says, Hey Matt, I've been seeing all your stuff on LinkedIn and I wanted to just come and say hi and introduce myself to you and see about getting your products going in our stores. And I said, oh, that's great. He reaches in his pocket and he hands me a card and he's the corporate buyer for True Value Hardware. Wow. 
right? So, wow. <laughs> so you, you never know who's watching. You could be getting 30 views on your videos, but one of those people might be someone who has massive influence on, on the business that they're in or other people. So right back to the thank you economy, like you were saying, um, social media just creates friends and I want to work with friends and I'm expanding my horizons by doing it. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I mean, thinking about it too, I mean, the only reason that we connected was through social media and, and it's cool that like, there's a world out there and everyone is connected to it via the phone in their pants pocket. And if we're not taking advantage of that, it's pretty stupid. I agree a hundred percent. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, so circling things back to hustle, you mentioned your LinkedIn account and I love this. I love that your LinkedIn account says that you went to the school of hard work. Now you talked a little bit about dropping out of high school, but you know, is that, is that a badge that you wear proudly? Have you had to, had to fight for credibility because of that? What, what is going to the school of hard work meant for you? I used to think I had to fight for credibility, but then I just realized it was self-limiting beliefs within myself. And it was just things that I made up because I still keep telling myself one day I'm going to go back to college and I'm going to get my MBA. And then the next day I wake up and say, why the hell would you do that? You're doing just fine without it. Um, but there's a little thing in the back of my head that says, you need to build that credibility with some people. But then I realized those aren't the people I care about being credible with anyways. So yeah, I dropped out of high school at a young age. Um, A learning environment wasn't for me. Funny enough, the only A I ever got in school was in a cooking class. And it wasn't because of cooking. It was because we had to raise money by selling cookbooks. And the teacher said, whoever sells the most cookbooks gets an automatic A. So I went out and set the school record for selling the most cookbooks anyone's ever sold. So that was right back to my hustle. Um, I even remember knocking on this guy's door and he opens it up, standing there, big biker dude with a shotgun in his hands. He's like, what do you want, kid? And within about 45 seconds, he was giving me a $10 bill and I sold him a cookbook. And this dude probably cooks nothing but meth. So it was pretty (laughs) funny. (laughs) Wow. So I want to ask you this then. So obviously you've been hustling and grinding to to build this company and it sounds like that goes back way earlier in life. But what would you just say say to someone on how to tell the difference between hustling on an idea that will pan out and just hasn't yet versus being ignorant and blind to the fact that your idea is just not that good? Learn and like failing. Um, I have done many things that I have failed at but it hasn't made me slow down my hustle in any given way. I've actually started six different businesses to this point since starting American Fireglass, and almost all of them have failed. And I put just as much hustle into those as I put into American Fireglass, and some things worked, some things didn't. And the best thing I ever did was learning to fail forward is what I call it, just keeping at it, not giving up, and going. And so – not everything pans out, and but for me, the hustle is what has kept it working for me, even when I had things that weren't working out. That's awesome. I tell my team all the time, man, fail fast, fail often. Like That's the only way you grow. I would way rather have someone try something, it doesn't work, they do a little pivot, and then they knock it out of the park versus be too scared to even do anything. Absolutely. So generally speaking, I've found this to be true, and I'm, I'm sure that you have, and you know, it's not a slight on anybody. But I think the truth is that generally speaking, our industry is tired. And I see this when I go to a lot of the national trade shows and affiliate meetings in different parts of the country. There's some people that are hungry, but there's a lot of folks that are just 
they just mailed it in. They're just throwing in the towel, waiting, you know, five, six years for retirement. But what would you say to people that are hungry and see opportunity? What should they do when they're in a situation where everyone else around them is just coasting? You know, I believe that you become the product of the people that you surround yourself with. So I think the first thing that you need to do is start finding people to surround yourself with that are doing what you want to be doing. Um, if, if you go and hang out with a bunch of tired and old people, it will eventually wear off on you. And it's the exact same way where if you hang out with a bunch of people with a lot of energy that hustle nonstop, next thing you know, you're going to be hustling nonstop. And, you know, like I say, hustle until your haters are asking for a job. But I have seen in the last 18 to 24 months, almost a nice breath of fresh air. I'm seeing a lot more younger faces, a lot of new companies coming along, a lot of people coming out with some really good ideas. It's, it's a lot of the old school stuff that I think is starting to fade fast. And some of the business models that have been around for 50 years, I think people understand that those ideas are going away. And people who are negative to that are just tired every day because I feel like they can't deal with the truth. Yeah. I mean, it's true. Things are absolutely changing and they're not going back. So we all have to figure out what that looks like for us. One thing I want to hit on too, because I've seen this true in your company, it's been true in ours, is that it's great to be young and hungry, to have tons of ideas. But the reality is there are a lot of older people in this industry that have brought a ton to the table. They've brought the industry to where it is now. And we had this story where we brought on a guy three years ago. He was like 74 years old onto my sales team. And this guy couldn't use a computer. He didn't know what Facebook was. I mean, all that stuff. But the combination of his wisdom and expertise and just like tried and true business skills mixed with an open mind with like young and hungry people. It was crazy how much this dude who was 74 at the time just rocked our sales world and gave us huge, huge growth and huge mentorship. And I think that there is a spot for people in the industry that are older, that are seasoned to pair with these young, hungry companies. And I've seen that with, you know, your dad works for you guys, right? And you have some older folks working for your company. Yeah, we absolutely do. So I'm I'm a big, big fan of Sarah Blakely. She is the inventor of Spanx. She was one of the first female billionaires in the United States. And in an interview about five or six years ago, she said, when we first started going, I realized I needed some gray hair in my company to point me in the right direction. And that really resonated with me. So I realized I needed to find some people with experience in areas that I just had none whatsoever and that they could bring a lot to the table. So funny enough, about a third of our staff is probably in their 60s right now. I've got my father working for me who came in to do sales about nine years ago. And our vice president of sales that we hired in October, he's in his 60s. And the experience that he brought with him is incredible. He had owned his own company for 25 years, sold it to a very large corporation. He doesn't need to work. And I think that's what actually makes him such a good employee is that that he got bored with what he was doing and realized I can make a huge difference with my friend Matt over at American Fireglass. And since he came on in October 
it's incredible the difference. He's teaching me things that I didn't even know were wrong. <laughs> and so I absolutely agree that there is definitely a place for that. And you see a lot of these tech companies coming out and hiring people straight out of college. And last, just last week, I went and took a tour of the Wayfair office and they have 5,000 employees in there that all just graduated from MIT and Boston University and Harvard. Most of them have MBAs and these are all young, smart people. And I felt old walking around in there and I asked them, you know, where's your executive team sit? And she kind of said, oh, all the older people are up on the next floor. <laughs> and, 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 and so, and then they were all kind of mixed in there. But it was really interesting to see the difference in a tech company that has the younger people that grew up with tech and now they're learning tech in school. And I think sales and leadership is a much different thing. And it's something that mature people are just definitely better at. Yeah, absolutely. With leadership and yeah, sales too, man, you learn it by doing it. You can read it in a book, but it's not an effective way to, to do it. You just, you got to learn by putting your feet on the pavement and, and living it one day at a time. So to end this interview, I want to ask you, you mentioned mentorship for young people in this industry. Why is it so critical that they find a mentor and what does that look like for you? For my own experience with a mentor was, I felt like I was at a point in my company where I, I wasn't growing anymore. And I didn't know how to continue to grow. And I didn't know it at the time, but it was because I wasn't being challenged anymore. As the CEO of the company, I have a lot of really, really good employees, but they weren't challenging me enough to be a better me. Um, they were depending on me to challenge them. And I didn't realize how badly I needed to be challenged. And so when I went out and found a mentor, my mentor is 76 years old, as a matter of fact. He has completely changed my life. And I now have other employees in the company who are using him as a mentor. And then we're bringing back that knowledge that we're learning and using it to mentor our entire staff. And it's going all the way down um, to brand new employees on day one. We're spending time with them, teaching and mentoring them. So even an employee on day one, back to what I've said, is that you're going to be a product of what you surround yourself with. You know, Find the smartest person you can and learn what you can from them. The thing is, you've got to add value too. Uh, if I don't add value and, and I'm not holding myself accountable, my mentor is not going to care about me anymore. So it can't just be a one-way relationship. It has to go both ways. And I think my mentor has actually learned quite a bit from me. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome, man. Well, I'll tell you, we really appreciate you coming on board today and you're doing some really cool things. Where is it that people can find you and your company online? So we are at AmericanFireglass.com, or I'm pretty active on Instagram too, if you're on there. Um, it's at Matt Dahl, or LinkedIn as well, Matt Dahl. Those are some places that you could find a lot of information about us. Sweet, man. Well, thanks for stopping by. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Tim. All right, peace. Dang, I love getting to talk with Matt. That was such a fun conversation to be a part of. You know, it's funny. I love watching that TV show, The Prophet. I think that Marcus Lemonis actually does some really cool things. And uh, just to think that Matt had the guts to just shoot him over a message and ask what he thought. I think I think that's just awesome. We could take a lot away from that. You know, as I listen back to this episode, as I get ready to edit it and everything, what I think about listening to Matt is when he talked about failing fast – I, I love that. I, I talk a lot with my team about how we want to fail fast and fail often, that it's totally okay to try something and have it not work because that's the only way that you get better is to try things. They don't work. You pivot a little bit. You try it again, and then you knock it out of the park. 
And I can't tell you how many ideas I've had that have just have just been gutter bombs. I mean, they've just they've they've blown it. But I've learned something in that process, and I've been able to tweak it just a bit, launch it later on down the line, and have some success. I would actually even argue that this podcast is a combination of years of unsuccessful playing in a punk band, and it's just funny how that stuff with a slight pivot can set you up for success down the road. You know, another thing that comes with that when you talk about failing is I think that any good leader needs to always be looking to disrupt themselves. And Matt was talking about how um, he got to a point in his company where he wasn't challenging himself anymore and he had to seek out mentorship. I would argue for leaders out there that are listening, you need to be constantly trying to disrupt yourself. Think about where am I complacent? Where do I have tunnel vision? Where could someone come in and undercut me? Because if you're doing that to yourself, it's going to put you so far ahead. You'll always be thinking in innovative ways. And the worst thing in the world is just to sit complacent, just let stuff happen to you. It's how you get caught by surprise and how you end up losing. So I thought that was really good. You know, the mentorship piece was awesome. What what it made me think about is, I think I've told this story in a past podcast, but a couple of years ago, I had a guy approach me in his mid-70s, and he ended up joining our sales team. By the time he retired, he was in his late 70s. And I'm going to shout out to this guy. His name is Pat Budson. And Pat was truly the best salesperson that I have ever met in my life. He had like 40 years in history experience, just an absolute rock star. It was like talking to your grandpa. You trusted him. You wanted to buy from him. He was a pro and he took great care of his customers. And you know, it's really easy when you're young and you're hungry to think that you have it all figured out. And I'll tell you guys for me that Pat became my mentor and not only me, but he actually mentored my whole sales team. And in the three years that we had him before he actually did retire, Man, this guy taught us so much about sales and about wisdom and even for me, teaching me about leadership and and it was incredible. So I would just encourage you to find people that are older than you that have been down the path a little bit further and learn from them because it can take your companies to awesome places. Well, I hope that this has given you some value. If there are things that you're still wondering about that you want to put into practice and you don't know where to start, I'm going to make a recommendation. Now, disclaimer, this is self-serving, but I think it's going to really help you out. I wrote an ebook a while back that's called The Roadmap to Success, and what it is is it's five principles for growing your hearth business. Now, this isn't theory. This isn't something that was learned in business school. These are five executable and repeatable steps that will grow your hearth company the same way that I've been able to grow mine over the last number of years. Now, this is an ebook that's free and you can go to the website itsfiretime.com and right there on the homepage you can get a download link for the free ebook. Now, last piece of information before we sign off is that if there's someone, as we're interviewing these guests, that you think I need to talk to, drop me a line, and I'll get in touch with them and see if we can have them a part of a future episode. You can do that at this email address. The email is tim at itsfiretime.com. So with all that said, I hope you're getting some great value out of this. We really, really appreciate you listening. I know that you are making our industry better. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. To learn more, visit the website itsfiretime.com. Music from this episode was written and recorded by In Bloom out of Portland, Oregon. We thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. We'll see you next time.